Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Well, Lord, we thank you. Uh, this is the day you've made and you've shared with us in the scriptures we're to rejoice and to be glad in it. And we thank you, Lord, uh, that we have the privilege of opening your word, uh, being able to study it, to be able to meditate upon it. Uh, and we do pray over these words, Lord, that they wouldn't just be stuck to the page. Uh, but Lord, we pray you'd breathe upon these words, uh, that they would give life to us, that they would give strength to us, that they would give direction to us. And I pray that, Lord, uh, just not like in a mass kind of way, but I pray that, that you would do that individually to each of us. And Lord, as we look at some different sections, Lord, I pray that you would highlight uh, to each one of us, Lord, what is that specific section uh, that we need to put into action in our lives? So we give you this time, Lord, to interact with you, and we thank you for speaking to us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, let me read it. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have caused a glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. 
But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. But they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and messenger to me, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so as I'm looking at uh, Philippians 2, there were six major points that came out to me. I'm going to list them to you and then, uh, then kind of try to unpack them. First, the importance of love. Secondly, uh, the humility of Christ and that we need to walk in his steps. Three, uh, working out our salvation. Four, that we should be lights shining in the world. Five, the humanity of Paul and our humanity. And then uh, six, the prerequisite for leadership. So let's look at uh, Philippians right in the beginning, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation and love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, uh, if you want to touch my heart, and he says here, uh, and make my joy complete. So you, I can just see that as a spiritual leader. I could see that as Pastor Brendan looking at us as a congregation and as a spiritual leader. And I've been there myself as a pastor. What would bring joy to a leader? And, and Paul pretty much plays that out. If you want to really bring joy to a leader, he says, here's what I want to see in the church, um, that you would have the same mind. So Paul says, okay, that would bring me great joy. I want you to have the same mind. I want you all to think like Jesus. Uh, can you imagine what that would be like if everybody in Fusion Church or other churches that might be involved here in this? So if everybody was on the same page and we were thinking like Jesus, that would be pretty powerful. And how do we think like Jesus? Well, you got to get in the Word. This is literally the mind of Christ is literally imprinted in the Bible. So if you want to know the mind of Christ, if you want to know the way he thinks, keep on soaping. 
keep on reading the word. So Paul says, if you want to bring me joy, uh, he says, number one, uh, have the same. Think like Jesus. Number two, he says, if you want to make my joy complete, maintain the same love. There's nothing that brings a greater joy, I think, to a spiritual leader than to see literally the congregation loving each other with the love of Christ. It doesn't get better than that. That is literally heaven upon the earth when the love of Christ is the dominating influence in any congregation. So Paul says, okay, think like Jesus, love like Jesus. He says, be united in spirit, where I hear him saying is, okay, let the Holy Spirit reign in your midst. Again, what would a church look like if the Holy Spirit had full control of every single member that walked through the door? That would be some kind of a dynamic and powerful church. And then he said, one other thing that would make his joy complete is he says, intent on one purpose. And I'm thinking, okay, Paul, what would the purpose be? And I think the purpose would be, Lord, we want to live to bring you glory by the way we live, by our character, and by the privilege of sharing the gospel with other people. I think that's the purpose, to bring glory to God by our character, and by our works. So <clears throat> pretty much, I think he says, that's what he's looking for. But I'd like to center really in on verse three. It's a very powerful verse. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do nothing, Paul says, do nothing, do nothing from selfishness. And I think, you know, what was the greatest problem of the devil? He was the angel of light. He was in the very presence of God. But what was his problem? Is he began to be full of himself. Self began to be center stage and self-will began to push his agenda. That was his biggest problem. And by the way, that's our biggest problem. Because in a sense, through Adam and Eve sinning, in a sense, we have inherited in our fleshly nature that same kind of tendency to be selfish. I'm sure any one of us here can identify there is a tendency to put myself first. It just, that's there, and it has to be counteracted by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, do nothing, do nothing. Do nothing from selfishness. Uh, he reverses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, when he describes what real love is about. He says, God's love does not seek its own. God's love does not seek its own. God's love seeks not what am I going to get, it's what can I give? How can I be a blessing to other people? And I'm thinking to myself, how that would transform human relationships. If that was our attitude, do nothing from selfishness. If we live just to bless others, what would that look like in a marriage? If that was the driving force that I'm there primarily to bless the other person, not what am I going to get out of it? How would that change uh, our work environment if that's the way people would interact in the worst place? Genuine concern. For others. My son-in-law works for Chick-fil-A. It's a Christian company, and it's amazing the way that company is run 
indifference from a worldly company where they actually care about their employees and love them. So what would it look like to be a blessing in a marriage, in a family relationship? How about in church life? What would it look like if we walked to the door on Sunday morning and say, hey, my primary aim is not what am I going to get out of it today? But what am I going to give? How can I be literally a blessing to somebody that God brings across my path this Sunday morning? What would it look like in a country, our country that is so divided now in so many ways between Democrat and Republican? What would it look like if the love of God would grab the hold of this country? It would revolutionize it. What would it look like between nations? We surely wouldn't be having the Ukraine situation and the battles and the selfishness and the shooting and the killing. We desperately need a revival of God's spirit upon the church and the world to be able to love each other. And look, at Paul goes a little bit further there. Um, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Think about that. Let each of us regard one another as, get this, more important than himself. In other words, what I hear Paul saying is that we should be always looking out of ourselves and we should always be looking to make the needs of others a priority, even over our own needs. Now, I know there's got to be a balance there. Because you can give, 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 and literally burn yourself out. And I guess all of us maybe have been there. You know, I got to be a Christian. I'll put others before myself. And we just fry ourselves. I'm not talking about just wiping yourself out. But it's basically, I think Paul is saying, no, no, no. Other people are a priority. And if you see a need in them, make it an aim to try to minister to that need. Just don't get wrapped up in your own little world. Feel what's going on around you and respond in Christian love. And then he says in four, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. And that, so often that's where the world is. It's what's about me, my personal interests, my agenda today. What do I want to get done? And he says, no, 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 no. It's not just about your personal interests, but the interests of others. So I come down at the bottom line and say, oh, Lord, have mercy. There's no way humanly we're going to pull this off. There's no way I can do nothing from selfishness. There's no way I can put others before me from a human point of view. It just isn't in our DNA. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that can pull that off. And it says in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So friends, it's all about love. We can't do it in our own power, but as we release the love of Christ in us to flow through us, we can begin to live the way Paul is saying here in verses one to four. So let's look at the next section. And well, let me just say, how are you doing on that? Before even Joe does uh, number two, how are we doing? How am I doing in my marriage? Am I putting the other person before myself? How am I doing in my other family relationships or the people I work with or the other people I interact with? Is love the driving passion in my life? It's a good thing to ask. It's a good check in your life and mine.
Okay, let's do two. Uh, the idea of the humility of Christ. Look at verses five and six. Philippians chapter two and five and six. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus didn't grasp his own rights. And when the father said, son, I want you to come and be born into this world under its circumstances, Jesus didn't say, hey, no, father, no way. Hey, hey, I'm the second person of the Trinity. I want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to get dirty in this. No, 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 no. No, go send an angel. Jesus had said here, he didn't grasp that. That fact that he was deity, the next person, the second person of the Trinity. No, he didn't claim his own rights. But look at verse seven. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Think about that. He emptied, he emptied himself. Ponder Jesus, he has been in eternity. No bounds, okay? No spatial bounds, unlimited space, unlimited time frame. I mean, he is free, free, free. And the father says, son, I want you to come to earth. I want you to be born in a body. So the timeless, spaceless Jesus gets put in a womb, contained in a womb. The almighty, omnipresent God is put in a womb, locked in there, and time frame, nine months, he really is confined. He emptied himself. He emptied himself in every single way. He experienced humanity in its fullness. He, he knew what it was to feel tired. He knew what it was to feel pain. He knew what it was like to feel rejection, to be betrayed. He couldn't feel those things in heaven, per se. He even felt temptation. Can you imagine Jesus, the perfect Jesus, being sexually tempted? And you might say, well, no, no way. No way. Well, let me give you a scripture here. I mean, the God who didn't, his absolutely sinless and holy from eternity, actually began to experience temptation for sin. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 4, 15, 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one, you get this, one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and might find grace to help in the time of need. Pretty powerful. Uh, from what I'm hearing here, Jesus was tempted every single way you're tempted. I don't know what you may feel as a temptation. He felt that when he walked the earth. He knows what it feels like to go through this. So talking about emptying himself, um, he really did empty himself in a major way, limited himself, uh, and went through what every human being would go through. Uh, it, notice it said here, he was a bondservant, okay? 
Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus is there with the disciples, and he's being able to gather with them. The disciples should have washed Jesus' feet. That was typical. The, the, the servant washes the master's feet, not the master the other way around. And Jesus, in the midst of it, when nobody would humble themselves to do that lowly task, Jesus did it. He washed their feet. And then it says in John 13, 14, if I'm in the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should be able to do what I have done. He's a bond servant. And that makes me wonder in my own life, is that my lifestyle? Is that your lifestyle? Is my mind in the framework of not I want to be served, but am I a servant? Is that my mindset when I interact with people in the home? At the workplace, am I there in the church as a servant? What can I do to serve you versus take? What, what am I going to be getting out of this situation? So he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Look at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Bible is very clear. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He became obedient to death. And what it says this, even death on a cross, that is the most miserable, cruel, gruesome, painful way to die. Unbelievable torture for anybody to hang there on a cross and be nailed and just suffocate. It's just terrible. And the Bible said he did that because he loved you and I that much. He's willing to go that far, pour out his life that much so that our broken lives could be put back together again. I hear that Paul says, ponder it. He emptied himself, bond servant, humbled himself, Gruesome that he all did that for you because of pure love to take your life and my life and put them back together. The Bible is very clear. The father was very pleased about that. Look at verse nine. Therefore, also God highly exalted him, bestowed on <clears throat> Jesus the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> the Father said, hey, son, amazing. You humbled yourself. I'm going to exalt you to the highest place in the entire universe. But not only does God exalt Jesus, he'll exalt anybody that has that same framework and thinking in their mind. Matthew 23, 11, it says this, the greatest among you, Jesus says this, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So there you go. I don't think we humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, pat me in the back. You know, okay, Lord, I'm looking for the reward. I'll be humble. You lift me up. I don't think it works that way. But I think as we have genuine humility, as we empty ourselves, as we serve, as we forget ourselves, coming in the back door, God says, that's exactly the character 
that I can exalt and reward. So I believe those that are going to be the most rewarded in heaven are the humblest, meekest people that have walked the earth. So again, that's just a checkup for me and you. Is that our attitude? Am I willing to be emptied? Am I willing to be a servant? Am I willing to pour my life out for other people? Okay, the third point is this. Work out your salvation. Look at verses 12 to 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Work out. Work out. So the way I see it, God works into us salvation when we accept Christ, when we open our lives to him, when we invite the Holy Spirit into us, he works into us salvation. But Paul says it's not enough for God to work into us salvation. It's up to us to work out that salvation. And you might say, well, well, okay, Pastor John, how, how do I practically work out and release the salvation that has been given to me in Christ? And I don't think it's super complex. If you want to work out salvation, we need to unlock the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Instead of keeping him encapsulated within us, instead of ignoring him, instead of grieving him, instead of quenching him, we get to the point of saying, Holy Spirit, you have been worked into me, the salvation. Now I give you free reign in my life. You have the liberty to do in me whatever you would like to do. Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Be yielded with the Spirit. So I believe the greatest need of any human being is to be born again. That's, that's all over in the planet. That's the greatest need. Everyone needs to come to a point of inviting God in. The greatest need of a Christian is then to be filled with the Spirit. And that's the problem with the church worldwide. Many people have the Holy Spirit that are Christians, but they're not filled. They're not controlled by the Spirit. So that would be the challenge. Am I full of the Spirit? Am I giving him full sway? Am I letting him work out God's plan in my life? And how does, how does he do that? It says here, verse 13, For it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, how do I work out salvation? I get to know the Holy Spirit. I open myself to the Holy Spirit. I stay open to the Spirit. I let him prompt me on the things God wants me to do. I let him lead me <clears throat> in my daily walk. And not only do I let him lead me and guide me, I let him carry out in his power and strength what he wants me to do. So he initiates the work in me, and he gives me the strength to pull it into full swing in action. Work out your salvation. So again, the challenge there to me is, do I really know the Holy Spirit? Is he a real person to me, or is he some kind of a, a mysterious force that's way up there floating someplace? 
do I really know him? And this is my cutting edge. Just trying to, okay, Holy Spirit, you're in me. I, I need to know you. And I want to be sensitive that when you move, I move. When you want this, I want this. And you work it out. Give me the power. <clears throat> I know that's definitely a cutting edge with me. And uh, I hope it's a cutting edge with you. Okay. Um, the fourth thing is we should be light. Look at verse 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of the Lord, so that in the day of Christ I may have caused a glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Friends, the world is messed up. It's really, really messed up. Now, the Bible says very clear, it's crooked, it's perverse. And I think one of the ways it's shown that's so clear is I've talked to a number of people over the last month. What is being taught in our public schools about sexuality is atrocious. There are things that are going out there that little kids in third grades, fourth grade, fifth grade, and I'm not even going to say on the screen, the junk that is going out there. And I am really concerned for our society because if this gets to be the norm, we are in big, big, big trouble, big trouble. So the world is really messed up and we, we see a lot of things going south. It's not good, but we are to be the exact opposite of the world. And unfortunately, one of the greatest problems in the church is that in many cases, the world has seeped into the church, and the church sometimes can look exactly like the world, like we're no different, not a good picture. According to Paul, we are not to be like the world. He says in verse 15, we are to be blameless, we're to be innocent, children of God, above reproach. Boy, that's a heavy one. Can, can I say that about me? Can I say that about you? That I'm above reproach. In other words, that no one can come to me or you and say, hey, I see this character flaw, and you're doing this wrong, and you shouldn't be doing this. Above reproach means they have no ammunition against us. Christ is shining through us, and we're living a Christ-like life. So the Bible is very clear. According to Paul, we should be radically different. We should be letting the Holy Spirit work out in our lives, Christian character, and Christian works. And what's the end result? At the end of 15, that we would appear as lights in a dark world. In other words, we are to be the reflecting of Jesus into the world. When people see us, they encounter the living Jesus. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, he then said, I, in a sense, I'm going away. You're the light of the world. If anybody's going to see me, they're going to have to see me in and through you, the church. Wow. We're to be the light of the world. Okay, just two more. The humanity of Paul and our humanity. Look at verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. That I may be encouraged. I think we need to realize that Paul is not some super duper saint. 
in a stained glass window in an ivory tower totally detached from life and a person that has no feelings. Sometimes Paul needed to be encouraged just the way we are. I mean, he was human. He felt what we feel, okay? Uh, he has feelings. Look at verse 25 and 27. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. Okay, and get this, not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Okay, Paul could feel sorrow. Okay, we feel sorrow. He was human. He had the feelings we experienced. In fact, look at the Bible. <clears throat> look at these people that are in the page. They're not perfect saints. We're not perfect saints. They struggled at times. If we're honest, I'm sure everybody here struggles at times. They felt discouraged at times. Sometimes we get discouraged. They felt frustrated. Think about this. Even Jesus at times felt frustrated, <clears throat> and it wasn't sin. Matthew 17, 19, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long should I be with you? How long should I put up with you? That doesn't sound like he's just having a good old happy day. Jesus is saying, like, how long do I put up with you? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're driving me crazy. <clears throat> so people in the Bible felt frustrated. They felt angry at times. They got tired. Uh, do you ever feel dragging, lifeless? Well, maybe at this hour, <laughs> maybe we do feel a little wacky. Um, do we feel tempted? Yes. So I just want to say that Paul, even though he's mightily used to God and others here in the Bible, they were human. And they're not above having a response to their circumstances and their situations in life. They felt what it felt like to be human. We're not some kind of angels with little flopping wings untouched by our environment. So we have to own our humanity. That is part of us till we go home to be with heaven. And the last thing is the prerequisite for leadership. Look at verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ. But you know, here, here's the word but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. His proven worth. I think Paul is saying not everybody should be a spiritual leader of a church. There are qualifications. You know, we have different pastors. We have, you know, Pastor Brennan and the whole staff of staff under them. You just don't grab somebody and say, okay, hey, let's throw them into that role. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible said. They need to man manifest a maturity in character and also have leadership ability. And as I'm beginning to wrap up, let me just read a little chunk of what makes a spiritual leader. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7, let, let me just give you what 
Paul would say is, hey, you want a leader? Here's what makes him tick. It's a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to be an office of overseer, pastor, whatever, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He may best be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that they may not find any reproach in him. So guess what? <clears throat> you don't have to be a perfect person to be a spiritual leader. But there are certain things. And I, I would go as far as saying, okay, if we are a connect group leader, if we're in any form of leadership at Fusion Church or any church, I think it's very clear. Paul says you shouldn't get a new convert and put them in a leadership position. They're not ready. I think Paul would say if you're going to have any form of leadership, they need to be respectable. They need to have integrity in their walk. They should be hospitable. In other words, they should be, be able to interact with people and love them and care for them. And they should have a good reputation. A good reputation that people can say, hey, they're doing what they need to do as a Christian. So there are prerequisites to be a leader. <clears throat> so summing up, wrapping up, I think Paul's saying here, walk in love. That is the priority of a Christian. Walk in love. How do we do it? Allow the Holy Spirit to put the love of God in us. I think the other major deal is be humble. Have a servant attitude in your mindset, whether it's in your home, where you work, whatever you do. We're to have a, a servant mindset the way our master did. And we're to work out our salvation. How do we do it? Let the Holy Spirit loose. Get to know him. He's God in you. Get to know and be sensitive to his movements. I think of uh, somebody that's pregnant. They feel a baby kicking inside of them. There's life in them. They can feel the kick. We need to be able to, in a sense, feel the kick of the Holy Spirit. When he says move in this direction, we move. When he says stop, we stop. And when he says do this, we do it. So let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord can work these things in us. Father, we thank you for Philippians chapter 2. We thank you, Lord, for your emphasis on love <clears throat> as the highest priority. That your love would be in us and that we would look out of ourselves, Lord, and be a blessing to the people that are around us. Lord, we just pray, help us evaluate that, Lord. Is that my mindset? Is that the way I live my life? Help us, Lord. Give us grace to be lovers. Lord, give us grace to be humble. Father, give us grace to have a servant mindset as we interact with other people instead of lording it over them. How can I serve them? And Lord, help us to work out our salvation. Holy Spirit, we pray, help us to get to know you very personally. Help us to sense 
when you're moving in a direction that you can allow us to move with you to do a certain thing that would bring glory to the Father. So, Lord, thank you. You're working in each of our lives. Father, I pray you get the glory and the honor from touching each and every one on this screen. And we thank you for the good things you're going to do in our lives through Philippians chapter 2. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.